The GameCube Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube Was Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tier. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 or above level for the month of July. I Rebel, Jem McKay, Dan Wagner, Kirsten Cardinal, Jed Winters, and Christopher Valenz. The GameCube Was Cool podcast is officially halfway through the GameCube library. How official, you ask? If the podcast were a person, it'd be a judge or some kind of accountant. If it were a seat on an airplane, it would be an executive. And if it were a car, it would be the Buick Regal. The world sat silently, and Mike and Neil answered the call and set out on a mission to prove the GameCube was cool. Way to go, boys. We did it. Well, we did it a couple weeks ago, but we did do it. We've made it halfway through the GameCube's library, Neil. What a wild accomplishment. Thank you so much, Victor, for handing in your homework on time, as always. Uh, we are official. We have not the official Nintendo seal of quality. Actually, we got quite the opposite of that today, according to our Redbubble store. But um, <laughs> the, Buick, the Buick Regal. <laughs> I like that. If we, were, if we were a person, we'd be a judge. I'd... Or some kind of an accountant. What kind of law do you think we would practice? Oh, well, copyright law, I would, I would feel like. I feel like yeah. we know a good amount of copyright law. After yeah. doing being this on podcast, the, being on the receiving end of it, <laughs> yeah, and, that and it just we we see we you know we've gone through so many uh, stories about legal stuff th- with mm. these games and licensing. Like there's the Kirby uh, Nintendo versus or Universal versus Nintendo for the yeah. Kong name, you know, and Sega with Crazy Taxi trying to get rid of every ca- Crazy Taxi clone. Yeah, <laughs> we, that's probably not a bad idea. We'd, we'd probably have a, um, a horse in that race, I would assume. I, I would assume that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but Neil, we were talking the other day about how we haven't been to the doctor in like a long time. No, no. Like I went to go get my my vaccine last week, and the the lady at the desk, you know, she said, uh, "Do you have a family doctor?" And I was like, "Yes?" Question mark. And and she said, "Oh, what's their name?" And I said it, and she was like, "I'm sorry, because it's a complicated name." And I said it again, and then she said, "Can can you spell it?" And I said, "No, no." <laughs> I said, honestly, I haven't had a checkup in over 10 years. You can just leave that blank, please. I was like, as an adult, I was like, I've been tap wood. I've been very healthy as an adult. Like, I I really haven't had too many issues where I've needed to see a physical doctor to like look at a part of my body or anything I, you know i we exercise I, I eat right and sleep right and everything so i maybe that helps i don't know so just like the whole regular checkup thing was very much like i did that until grade 12 high school and then mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i left my childhood doctor and then once my parents said you're on your own to set up doctor's appointments i just didn't and now did you ever get the the, the reflex hammers on your knee you ever get that like no. the, you see that on cartoons and sure and shows all the time but yeah, i, I yeah. feel like i never really got those and maybe i got it once or twice when i was a little kid yeah no i wanted to, i wanted that type of a doctor's <laughs> test but no i never did but i'd like to, i'd love to see what would happen so i'm going somewhere with this neil this is, I'd, uh... I'd assume did you have a, <laughs> but... did you have a checkup recently <laughs> no but uh i was thinking of what reflux hammers were actually called i i, I figured that they had like a special name for them like okay. an like an aglet you know like that's the end okay. of the shoelace <laughs> i learned that today some some weird name uh yeah, yeah. and it's often referred to as the babinski Uh, It's a Babinski reflex hammer. And uh, I got curious. I was like, what's that? So I went on the Wikipedia article for Babinski reflex hammers. And 
what comes up for it, it says it was designed by Joseph Babinski and it has a metallic handle that is often detachable. Uh, Babinski ham hammers can also be telescopic, allowing for compact storage. <laughs> Babinski's hammer was popularized in clinical use in America by the neurologist Abraham Rabiner, who was given the instrument as a peace offering by Babinski after the two brawled at a black tie affair in Vienna. What? I found no other information on that black tie brawl. Why is that not everywhere? That should be. That's hilarious. I want to see two doctors fighting each other at some like fancy Vienna black tie event. Did it say what they were fighting over? No. Again, I, and I looked in the references for on Wikipedia, and uh, and it's part of a book called The History of Reflux Hammers. So okay. um, we can put that on in our summer book reads, uh, Neil. That sounds like a winter book. That sounds depressing and funny <laughs> at the same time. It's just It was just such a right. random thing for a doctor to do. Like, all right, I'm going to check your pulse. I'm going to check your eyes. I'm going to check your ears. And let me just hammer your knee real quick. And you're in good health. <laughs> I don't know. Like, if, yeah. if someone had a bad knee, it's pretty damn obvious that they have a bad knee, you know? Like, it's not something I need a doctor to tell me. That's right. Mike, this week you actually found a pretty sweet website, and I thought we could just talk about it really quick. Um, the website was called Video Games Saved My Life. It was on Tumblr, and uh, the website has long since been dormant. It looks like it was abandoned by the uh, by the developers or whoever it was. That well, it was, was Ashley Birch who made it, and you might know oh. Ashley Birch. Uh, she did, uh, what was it, um, Ash Plays Games or whatever that was. That was a very popular kind of YouTube series, very early YouTube series. Uh, back in the day. I think I remember that, yeah. And it was it was neat to just explore this website, uh, almost like exploring a sunken ship like the Titanic to see like posts from 2011 or 2012 that were like the newest ones. And, and there was really not much. I couldn't find too many things much newer than that. But uh, it was just an interesting website to see just a collection of stories of gamers at that time. You know, we were right towards the end of the PS3, Xbox 360 generation. And j just to see the number of, of folks out there who discovered video games during difficult times, either something to do with their mental health or physical health, like cancer mm -hmm. treatments, uh, relationship problems, and finding solace in video games that literally yeah. gave them like a reason to live through through some of these times. And Oh my God, there's a couple that I was, I read, um, there was one in particular about a guy who was an Iraq war veteran he came back uh, and his uh, ex-wife had basically taken everything from the house uh, and uh, she hated video games so she left him his video games huh. uh, and but she left his cat in in like his room and had the door closed so the cat was without water or food Jeez. for basically a month I think and it it like was you know just holding on when he came back and uh, the vet offered to put him down and he was like no I'm gonna like like see this to the end and uh every and obviously his divorce or his marriage had just fallen apart so he was in, in a horrible place too just coming back from a war as well mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and uh him and the cat would just he would sit with the cat feed him his you know vitamin milk to try and get his strength back and play super mario uh super mario world uh every night uh and wow. eventually the cat did get better and um but ever since then every time he would sit down to play video games the cat would curl up in his lap because that's what, you know, he remembers. Oh. Yeah, there's some terrible stories like that, man. Just like, and I mean, there's worse ones. There, there are some that aren't quite that sad, which which was Oh, well, I mean, better. it was a good ending. It was a nice yeah, ending. Yeah, that is a nice <laughs> ending. I mean, in the end, the, the the website is Video Games Saved My Life. It's not yes. meant to be a total downer. It is supposed to end in a positive note. I guess that's yeah. the point. But it got me thinking of like, if there were any times like that for me where 
like I, I've never been on the point of wanting to to self harm myself or anything. So I don't I can't say that video games ever saved me from anything like that. And nobody in my family's ever abandoned me except for me and my GameCube, luckily. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I never had to go through any long bouts of any sort of medical sure. treatments and and stuck in a hospital again. Tapwood, very good health. But I have had times where you know I've I've felt depressed or down just slightly, you know, because of where I am with work or school. Mm-hmm, and for me, for me, like the main time I think of is when the Switch came out. I actually was in not a very great place because I was done school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with work. Mm-hmm. Basic stuff that every millennial, I think, goes through when they finish school. And that was right around when the Switch came out. And just so that time for me, just being not in a great time, like Breath of the Wild is really heavily tied to that time. Even though I, yeah. I absolutely adore that game, it was very much like playing that game in between times of you know, slogging it to work and then trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. So that was kind of mm. the closest thing that I could think of where if I had to write something on this website, that's what I would say. Did, did you, did anything come to mind for you when you were on that website? Yeah, I liked, I liked a lot of the, the stuff about just um, helping with relationships with different people. Mm. There's one that we're going to talk about at some point uh, during the podcast about a game where uh, this guy and his sister had a better relationship because of this game. But for me, I just think of playing games with my dad, uh, you know, we we got a better relationship because of of our, not love for games necessarily, but just the ability to play Double Dash or something like that together. Yeah. Uh, that was really big for me. I, I had I never had consoles before the GameCube, so, you know, gaming was such a, like, individual thing other than going over to friends' houses and playing maybe Smash or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really cool to, to have that kind of bond with my dad with uh, playing those kind of games and yeah, brought us closer and we can still talk about that, even though my dad is not a gamer at all, right? Right. Uh, right, right. I just think that's the power of video games to to create those, you know, better bonds with people. Yeah, it's a really cool way to bring people together, like friends, family members that you don't see forever, like your cousins come over who you haven't seen since yeah. last, last Christmas and you play with them this Christmas and you just play games together. Uh, and then you with your dad, it's a great way to build relationships, but there's also this a completely other side of video games that com- actually saves people from wanting to end their lives, which yeah. is completely depressing and you know if you need help then absolutely go out and seek it but in the meantime there is there are things that you can do on your own and playing video games and developing a community and joining a community and talking to people about whatever games you like is really cool and i feel like we've talked about this before on this show but i just want to talk about it again that you know uh Definitely reach out to any sort of group you can. Uh, there's so many enthusiast groups out there, including ones yeah. for the GameCube that we love on Facebook. So go out there and find your own little community. Uh, there's thousands of them out there. Thousands of people who love the GameCube, somehow more than us, actually. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We're like a drop in the pond, man, of people out there that love GameCubes. I look at some of these collections and mods and everything, and it's it's insane. But we do have our own little podcast here, which I'm still super proud of. And, Mike, we also have our own Patreon page. Listeners out there, if you want to support us on Patreon, you can go ahead and do so. We have a couple of tiers there, but supporters at the $5 or above level get their names read in the credits at the beginning of the show and the option to submit an opening topic. Just like today, Kirsten writes in, and Kirsten wants to know, fork versus spoons. Mm. From the list of the following foods, are you more likely to use a spoon or a fork? There are foods that obviously need a fork, like meat and spaghetti. I don't know anybody that eats those things with a spoon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Leave the comments down below. Uh, and uh, and then there's chopsticks, of course, for certain Asian dishes. Uh, but there are some foods where there's a big gray area. So, sure. yeah. So here we go. I put together a list uh, with the help of Kirsten, actually, of uh, I have 11 foods here, Mike. And mm. what I want to do is I'm going to name the food. I'll count one, two, three. And we're both going to say either spoon or fork and see where we land uh, on the scale of insane to sane. 
Now, Kirsten and her boyfriend, this is a big feud between the two of them, and one of them lands on the side of fork for all of these foods, I believe, and the other one lands on the side of spoon for all of these things. I'm not going to say who it is because I don't want to skew our judgment either way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. All right, Mike. So the first food on the list here is corn. One, two, three, fork. Fork. Okay. Okay. So we're both fork here. I'm going to keep a list here. So fork, two check marks there. All right. The second food here is peas. One, two, three. Three, four. Fork. Good. Okay. All right. Doing good so far. Two for two. That's good. Third food here. Now, this one is definitely a gray area because there's different types. Now, the food is rice. I'm just going to say a dinner rice, not like sushi. So your plate of meat with rice. One, two, three, four. Fork. Okay. Uh, Looking good. Is this supposed to be difficult? I'm scared. (laughs) (laughs) All right. The fourth food on the list here is mashed potatoes. One, two, three, four. Fork. Spoon to get the mashed potatoes out, put ah. it on a plate, then use a fork. Oh, you took another, you took a dive there. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Okay. Now, this food is very similar, but adds meat. So, shepherd's pie. One, two, three, fork. Fork. But that was a close, that's probably the one that I was the closest on. That could okay. that could go either way, but I think it's a fork for that one. Well, sometimes it's liquidy. Like, some, some shepherd's pies can be liquidy. And the ones that I eat are typically pretty solid. So, I, yeah. I'll have to go with fork on that one. Yeah. All right, so uh, number six is cake. One, two, three, fork. Fork. Oh, we're looking good. (laughs) We're looking very good so far. I don't know. This is an interesting topic. Uh, Sometimes parties, they only had spoons, which was weird. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It is weird. Plastic spoons with with cake is horrible. The plastic spoon never fit in my mouth right. It's (laughs) always too small. I didn't like it. All right, number seven is baked beans. So like the Heinz canned baked beans. Sure. One, two, three, fork. Spoon. Ooh, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. This is where I thought we would differ. Yeah, I'm a, ah. I'm a spoon guy for beans. I hate eating beans with a fork. Okay, why is that? Why is that? I think a lot of the times I eat beans, they're in soups, like a minestrone or something. Okay. Uh, and so I'm just used to eating beans in soups and stuff. And so when oh. I eat beans uh, on the side, uh, I like to eat it with a spoon. So you, you don't – okay, so you don't eat – just a can of baked beans because I love canned like Heinz baked beans. I eat that with a fork because eventually you get down to the bottom where you only have a few left and it is difficult to kind of scoop them up. So you just stab them and that's the end of that. That's fair. That's fair. So baked beans on their own, I think are better with a fork. But if you're talking about soup, that that's the spoon. That's like a (laughs) no brainer, but, but I still eat baked beans on their own with a spoon because I'm used to it. Like with soup. Okay. So that's the only place we deviate so far. All right. Number eight on the list here is macaroni and cheese. If you eat this with a spoon, Neil, I think we're going – I think that's it for the friendship. (laughs) One, two, three, fork. Fork. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's an easy one. Who – I, I, I want to know who is eating this with a spoon. That, that makes me angry. We're going to find out at the end of this, this segment here, Mike. All right. Number nine is a similar food. It's tortellini, which is mm-hmm. another pasta. One, two, three, fork. Fork. Yeah. But see, you some people will use the spoon to like, you know. Uh, scoop it out? Yeah. Like, yeah, scoop it out. Okay. That's a thing. But yeah, it's a fork. It's a fork. Like it's, like it's distant cousin, the mashed potato. That's right. All right. So number 10 on the list here is eggs, like scrambled eggs. One, two, three. Three fork, yeah, yep. that's an easy one. And then last one on the list here is stuffing. So bread stuffing with your turkey. One, two, three, fork. fork. But yeah. I would see. I would say I would use a spoon if it was just stuffing. You know what I mean? If someone just gave me a plate of stuffing, oh. I'd use a spoon. You can't but get because, any though; it'll fall off. Uh, but see, because I'm eating it with like turkey, I'm not gonna 
grab a spoon. Yeah. To, to... Like some kind of Neanderthal. <laughs> I already got my fork. That's the only piece of cutlery I need. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And again, for me, it's the same thing with the beans. Like eventually you get to the end of it where there's just a couple left, you know, maybe you have some bits and pieces of bacon or, or onion, depending on what your mom put in that stuffing there. So like you just need a fork to stab what's left, you know? Uh, you know what? I want to change my answer. I'm sorry. I want to change my shepherd's pie answer. It is a spoon. <laughs> I use spoons for shepherd's pie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. You just Sorry. remember, you just had a flashback to... <laughs> yeah, well, because I was, I was on the fence already, and now I'm, like, thinking about if I actually went and bought a shepherd's pie today, I would use a spoon. Okay, so, yeah. interesting. Spoon for me. Okay, so we deviated on shepherd's pie and baked beans, but mm. I think the baked beans was mainly because you associate baked beans with soups, which is weird. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, Kirsten let me know that I believe that all 11 of these foods, she says fork, and then her boyfriend says spoon. Well, that was a fun one. Thank you, Kirsten, for writing in. I like that. I like having you and I answering at the same time, too. That's that's <laughs> going to be fun for me to edit. <laughs> All right, Mike. I think it's time to move on to our favorite segment. It's time for the mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show, you can do so on any of the social media platforms that you follow us on, specifically Instagram. We prefer. Uh, you can also leave a comment on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We will read your rating and review on the podcast, just like Mike, who wrote into us today. Miller likes Warriorland via Apple Podcasts. Uh, Australia wrote in. Neil likes uh, Warriorland too. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Miller and I are kindred spirits. I like that. And uh, their review was, this is just brilliant. Five stars. I don't know what makes this podcast so great. I just don't. But time and time again, I find myself enthralled in these episodes. Great podcast. Keep it up. Thank you, Miller. And yeah. greetings from uh, from Canada. Glad to hear that we're we're definitely developing a bit of an audience there in Australia. This is interesting. A little, little GameCube down under. A little GameCube down under, mate. It's as good <laughs> nice. as that's going to get. Glad to, thank you. Glad to hear that we're keeping you enthralled with our uh, with our debates between forks and spoons. Hopefully that keeps you around. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But Neil, uh, let's start off the episode. And I'd like to do something a little different this time, if you oh, don't mind. Sure. I've introduced 57 episodes so far, Mike. So please take it away. It's time for the GameCube with school. New episode every Thursday. On every major service, we are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. And we're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 283 games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. Totally insane <laughs> That's him. <laughs> Last week, we covered Soul Calibur 2 and a bunch of other fighting games on the GameCube. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. There aren't too many fighting games left for us to cover, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Getting there. This week, we are covering five Warner Brothers licensed games on the GameCube. Why, you may ask? Well, Space Jam 2 is finally coming out, and we thought, what better time to celebrate Warner Brothers cartoons than the release of a sequel to a movie that probably should have come out 30 years ago come on and slam and welcome to the jam come on and slam i love that song um so yeah we're here to celebrate warner brothers there's five games on the gamecube based on some of the licenses uh i love warner brothers growing up it's all the characters are a huge part of my childhood specifically looney tunes mm -hmm. uh so i thought what would be a fun way mike to break down this episode would be uh with each game we uh we talk a little bit about the franchise as well since For all sure. of these games are somewhat mediocre <laughs> yeah this 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 is more about the franchise franchises and our everyone's collective memory with uh, Looney Tunes and the others. Mm -hmm. And specifically, 
I just want to talk, first of all, top level about Warner Bros. in general. Now, that WB golden and blue logo is iconic. Like, there's tattoos of it. It's on mugs, T-shirts, hats. I want to ask you, Mike, what does that WB logo mean to you? I just think of Looney Tunes. Uh, specifically, mm-hmm. I think of Bugs Bunny and Tweety Show growing up watching that all the time, mm-hmm. constantly. Uh, I must have watched that at least once a week for from when I was like four to... God knows when. I would still yeah. watch it today if I could. If oh, yeah. I could easily watch Looney Tunes, like somewhere, and if just on, I would watch it. I that's that's what it means to me for sure. Is that that water tower and um, mm. Bugs Bunny coming yeah. out of it? Yeah, I'm I'm the same as you. I remember I was in kindergarten. I think was the first time I ever discovered Looney Tunes. I must have been five years old, mm-hmm. and one of my friends brought to school. Somehow I borrowed it. I don't know how. He brought like a box set of VHS tapes of Looney Tunes collections, oh, basically. Wow. Yeah, I have no idea how or why he gave it to me to borrow, but I guess I showed some kind of an interest and the parent lent it to my mom or whatever. But watched that on repeat yeah. for weeks until I eventually gave it back. And then luckily they eventually put Looney Tunes on, I believe it was Teletoon. Mm-hmm. And Teletoon Retro later on in in Canada. Yes, in the late 90s, early 2000s. I consider Space Jam really to be the start of the Looney Tunes renaissance, mm-hmm. at least for our generation, like the early 90s to the early 2000s. Short there renaissance. A, very short. <laughs> 10 years is not bad. I, I know. 10 I know. years is not bad. I know. Yeah, it's, it definitely started with one movie and then ended with another. <laughs> that's for sure. And again, again, the WB logo for me is, again, totally associated with Looney Tunes. Sure. Like I even picture Bugs Bunny standing next to it eating the carrot, yeah. which a lot of these movies start with. But I also really associate it with Harry Potter movies, too, like things okay. outside of the cartoon space, like Harry Potter and uh, Batman as well. Yep. Those are all WB franchises as well. So it does dip into a lot of other things other than just cartoons, which a lot of folks out there might not know. They also d- uh, dive into video games, too. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Warner mm-hmm. Brothers is pretty synonymous uh, with a lot of games, movie franchises. It's, uh, I, I don't know the stats, they change all the time because there's constantly mm-hmm. mergers, but I think it's, yeah. it, it's the biggest, if not the second biggest uh, media conglomerate in the United States. Wow. Yeah, they own several different divisions. Uh, They have Warner Bros. Pictures, New Line Cinema, Warner Animation Group, and Castle Rock Entertainment, which, Mike, we would know through Seinfeld. Yeah, And they recently merged with Discovery as well and got all of Discovery's platforms and everything, too. So it's, it's a huge company. Interesting. They've they've always been like the like I feel like they're kind of the underdog against Disney because they have so many it's like Coke of, and Pepsi for sure. Yeah, I mean Disney's obviously just sucked up so much oxygen in the last ten to twelve years that WB just can't really keep up. Mm-hmm. But Warner Bros. do have a bunch of big video games coming out in the next few years. Yeah. Uh, now Warner Bros. didn't actually start publishing their own games until two thousand and five. So a lot of the games, actually all of the games that we're talking about today, were not actually published by Warner Bros. Technically, they were licensed out to other developers like the thqs that we've talked about only before. one thq this time though i was i was ready yeah. for a lot i was ready for yeah a five me too THQ. <laughs> me too man i was ready for a clean sweep of thq today um the first wb published game was actually matrix online in 2005 so these games that we're talking about today were all out by then and if uh, if anybody out there is looking for a wb game to pick up Later on, either in 2021 or 2022, there's some upcoming games like Gotham Knights, Hogwarts Legacy, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League, and the Lego Star Wars games as well are all WB licensed games. The Lego Star Wars games are WB licensed? Yeah, the Lego Star Wars, uh, the Skywalker Saga is being published by WB. That's so weird. What the hell? And they also they also did Lego Dimensions. Remember that Toys to Life game from like 2015 that I think was a fail? Yes, I do remember. That That makes more sense. But the Lego Star Wars, like that's Star Wars is a Disney property. So that's... Um... It was on the list of upcoming WB 
uh, I think it's because they own TT Games, which make the Lego games. Yeah, I was going to say they must have an exclusive like uh, yep. licensing with Lego to do stuff mm-hmm. to do video games. But yeah, that's yeah. that's a that's an interesting one. Usually Disney is pretty uh, iron fisted when it comes to them owning vertical and horizontal properties. But uh, interesting. Yeah. But uh, anyway, I think now's a good time to uh, to talk about the games that we have today. What do you think? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Let's start with first with Taz Wanted, which was released on October 10th, 2002. This game was developed by Blitz Games. Uh, we've talked about them a few times already. They they develop a bunch of games like from SpongeBob to Fairly Odd Parents. Uh, it was published by Infogrames. It's also on PlayStation 2, Xbox, Microsoft Windows. This game rates about a 6 out of 10. It's a 3D platformer in the cel-shaded graphic department, and if you wanted to pick it up today, it's $20. I know that, Mike, because I bought it. Oh, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> this has got to be one of the first cel-shaded games on the GameCube. Uh, 2002, mm. it's before Wind Waker, and the cel-shading is not as good as Wind Waker. Uh, I actually have a lot of problems <laughs> with the graphics in this game. There's so much stuff going on, Neil. Why is there so yep. much stuff all the time on the screen? The screen is so cluttered, man. It's it's frustrating to look at. And I actually, unfortunately, the game just arrived today before we started recording. So I haven't even had a chance to play it yet. So I'll have to do a follow-up next week, on next week's episode just to give my impressions of it. Sure. But just watching gameplay of it on YouTube, it's like, why is there so much going on <laughs> on the screen? Like, they were just overkilling it. Yeah. And that's not what the Looney Tunes cartoons was. Like, there wasn't that much really going on on screen at any time. Most of it was still frame. Yep. Everything was in the background. And just the characters were moving. It's hard to do that in a 3D plane. And we've talked about a few times now uh, cartoons being converted to the 3D space in video games. And Taz was not one of those franchises <laughs> that uh, translated well to 3D. Well, like, I- I'm a big Tasmanian Devil fan, for sure. And oh yeah, funny enough, so... The Tasmanian Devil seems to have grown in popularity. Maybe one of the only characters who's actually had an upwards growth rather than just stagnant because mm-hmm. he really wasn't that big in the original Looney Tunes. He didn't get a lot of screen time and has slowly mm-hmm. gotten more and more popular. And even to the point now that I see a lot of Taz t-shirts and merch. Like that's yeah. that seems to be almost as much as a Bugs Bunny or Daffy Duck uh, uh, in terms of merch and just like in relevance in pop culture. Yeah, and being a, I'm a bit of a gym rat. I remember seeing Tasmanian Devil T-shirts oh, in the gym the too. Yeah, because just like this wild character translated well to athletics, yeah. which was great. And no, you're right. He wasn't popular right away. He actually has six of his own video games. I don't mean like six <laughs> games where he's in it with Bugs Bunny. Like he's got his own standalone game six times. Were there any after this one? <laughs> No, no, okay. I think this was the last one. They were all like, sure. no, they were all like NES, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Super NES, and then this one. Okay. There might have been, there's nothing on N64, and then some PC stuff. But yeah, like he had his own games, and he was introduced in 1954. Um, and I actually watched a bit of the episode. It's on YouTube, and it's hilarious. Like, I love the, it's when he's escaped from the zoo, and all oh, the yeah. zoo animals have escaped too. And he gets, he hooks up with the, uh, the she devil, who's like his love interest. Yep. So over the years, they have given him a bit of more of a personality, where in those earlier episodes, he's just kind of like this Hulk character <laughs> who just kind of roars and growls, where eventually they've given him a, a bit of a voice and, and things to say, which helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've always been a, being a Taz fan. He just, same. He, he just too, you know, he's hilarious. He's like Animal in the yeah. Muppets. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I still I, I still prefer Animal, I think. But yeah, but yeah. No, let's go back to the game here. It is a cell shaded game. At first glance, it looks like it's gonna be beautiful. Like it's gonna be a good game. You know, cell shaded hasn't hasn't driven us wrong yet. But then it starts and 
it's a little clunky. And of course, the camera controlling in this Ooh, game is yeah. oh my God. rough. There's a, uh, I watched a good review on it, and it's, uh, the guy kind of lambasts the game, which I, I don't think it's that bad. Uh, it's, you know, it's 6 out of 10 is a fair score. But there is one level where Taz is trying to get up these platforms, and it kind of goes, it's like a spiral staircase almost. And to get to actually get up to the top took him, uh, I think, ten minutes because because there's you can't control the camera properly. The controls uh, obviously are horrible. You, uh, you can't see anything. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, it, it, it's it just it doesn't work for this kind of game. Uh, I, I do want to mention yeah. before I forget that one of the first things I saw when I was looking up gameplay was the fact that Taz can have costumes, and one of the costumes is basically a Tony Hawk costume <laughs> where he has a skateboard <laughs> and everything. I'm like, yeah, this is yeah. the most 2002 thing I've ever seen. <laughs> there was so much more of an opportunity to make this closer to just a Looney Tunes game, but I'm sure what happened is that the developers or the developer didn't have a great budget for it. We were told, hey, just... Mm-hmm. You know, do what you can with this title. Uh, we yeah. want a 3D platformer with the Tasmanian Devil. Like, go for it. I'm sure they had no direction. <laughs> Probably not. But they randomly had the idea of putting multiplayer in the game, which is really strange. Okay. Uh, putting multiplayer into a 3D platforming game. It's kind of like a destruction derby uh, multiplayer with one other person where it's just a, a race to destroy things. Uh, interesting idea, but I, I actually had the idea that it would have been really neat if it wasn't out yet. But if this was kind of like the ultimate Spider-Man, yeah, of of the uh, of the Looney Tunes, where it, ta- it starts off as a Taz game and then maybe it spins off into like with another character, like Wiley Coyote. I would there. love that. I would love to play as Taz as like the Venom, basically, where you're just going yeah. around destroying stuff, and then yeah. you get to play as Bugs or Daffy, and and mm-hmm. yeah, that would be so much. See, Neil, you should be making these games. <laughs> <laughs> I should be. I could, I would just dude. I would do so good with these licenses. Because we grew up with them. Like, yeah. Yosemite Sam is in the game. He's kind of like the main antagonist of the game because he's, like, kidnapped the uh, the Tasmanian devil from his environment and has taken him to the zoo to, you know, make money, do what uh, y- Yosemite Sam does. And that's kind of it. Like, the plot is very basic. Yeah. It's not, like, a, a very – it's not a – unique storyline that's for sure you don't really know where to go you're wandering around a lot Mm -hmm. in this game which is always fun uh for a a game environment is to wander around aimlessly Mm. yeah and it but it does kind of scratch that itch from the n64 days of like banjo kazooie where there's lots of things to collect on screen very colorful environment like fairly big spaces to explore and lots of random things to collect and you know you have one thing that you need to do in each level to to proceed so I think for me, I might actually like it. So I'm looking forward to playing this game, hopefully this week and uh, reporting back next week uh, for our next episode. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like a bad game. It just looks like a very average game that they could have done a lot more with, but uh, Mm -hmm. it didn't go as planned. We'll see, man. We'll see. But uh, did you want me to read the back of the case here and we'll move on to the next game? Yeah, that sounds good. All right. But first, Victor, hit us with another jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case there's things written on the back of the case let's read them and now we're reading the back of the case taz is on the loose the ravenous relentless natural disaster of a hero taz is rip-roaring mad yosemite sam locked taz in a zoo and wants to turn his homeland into a tacky theme park now is an escape taz is on the run gobbling power-ups using disguises and leaving a wacky wake of destruction across four hazard-filled worlds in an attempt to stop sam well, there you go there it is <laughs> i don't know i don't have anything to comment on that back of the cases you know well that's my mama 
<laughs> Next game on today's episode is Tom and Jerry War of the Whiskers, which was released on January 4th, 2003. That sweet spot of the first week of the new year was developed by VIS Entertainment or Viz. I don't know. It's published by New Kid Co. in North America, Ubisoft in Europe, and Success in Japan. It's also on PlayStation 2 and Xbox. It rates a 6 out of 10. This is actually a 3D fighting game, and it's priced at around $60 today. And Mike, the one thing that stood out to me right away is this game is rated T. Yes, that also stood out to me. I was I, I was what? very uh, I was very confused at that, but um, it's a interesting game. Yeah, you're right. It's a fighting game, which I mm-hmm. thought was interesting because I I figured this was going to be another 3D adventure, 3D platformer. Mm-hmm. One thing I really like about this is before you even start the game, you can actually fight each other before you actually nice. click start. And uh, I I love that's something I love about certain games there's very few that actually do it but i love being able to do stuff in the menu you know Mm -hmm. yeah kind of reminds me of even like smash bros when you start up smash bros it's kind of like there's a bit of a tutorial there in the opening yeah i think that that's a great thing to do with like any type of load screen or opening screen have something for us to do yeah you know be a lot of fun (laughs) now i wasn't a huge tom and jerry fan as a kid were you no i would say i probably watched tom and jerry the least of everything we're going to talk about today I just, it was never really on for us. I'm sure yeah. other other people and other generations and other ages had seen it more than we did, but it, I never really remember it being on TV. Yeah, no, me neither. I, well, I remember it being advertised on TV, but I never, I think it was just on later because it was, even for our time, I think it was considered inappropriate for kids. Really? Just certain things. I just, I think that might've been one of the reasons why it was on so late, but for whatever reason, I just... I just missed it. I don't know why. And the game is rated T. We should go back. Is it's for violent, mild violence and cartoon mischief, which most of these games have that. So yeah, watching this, I, I don't see anything that would really make it an actual T-rated game. But I, I don't know. I, again, we we did not play this game. I'm I'm very sorry that we did not go out and buy <laughs> Tom and Jerry. Uh, I kind the- of want to though. Like, I, it's not too out of the question. Like, it's only sixty dollars. It's this random fighting game it's actually a sequel to an n64 game that i had not heard of uh called tom and jerry fists of fury on n64 which i have not seen that game anywhere (laughs) Um, and i found actually quite a few copies on ebay for around 45 dollars. so maybe i'll start with that one instead yeah i think the teen rating is honestly just because it is a a fighter slash brawler and it seems Mm -hmm. like every single one of those no matter how not really violent they are like even like a smash is a is uh t rated right uh, yeah, yeah, T-rated for, again, I think it is for the same thing with comic mischief yep. and cartoon violence, basically the same stuff. So it's not like language and there's not like boobs hanging out or anything, <laughs> which would have been awesome Tom if there Jerry was. XXX. <laughs> that would have been hilarious. But like the game works. Like the, the, it's a fixed camera, so you don't have to worry about the camera, you know, goofing off like it does in Taz Wanted. And the characters all look fine. I think that they look pretty pretty true to what they look like in the cartoon it's not like a 2d game or anything so they do translate pretty well to being a full 3d 3d game and they, they had the chance to practice this already on pc and n64 so maybe that helped a little bit yeah yeah and and if listeners are are wondering what this game actually looks like and how it feels to play in terms of a fighting game picture it more like a melee than a solo caliber because uh, you, yeah. you are able to go on the stages you're, you are able to kind of jump around uh, and you do have an environment to use to your advantage. And mm-hmm. But in terms of the moveset, it just seems like it's an A-B, couple of combos here and there. Uh, you do have a power-up 
uh, power meter that that fills eventually, just like most fighting games at this time, that you can mm-hmm. use uh, to to knock out your opponents. I mean, fr- from studying this game, I learned characters that I had never even heard of. <laughs> like, I didn't know there were any other characters in the in the uh, show other than Tom and Jerry. So that's I knew why. there was a dog, uh, that the bulldog. I, I recognized him, but that was about it. <laughs> yeah, there's Tom, Jerry. I guess Butch would be the bulldog or Spike. I don't know. Spike, Spike. I think I, it's yeah. Spike. I think that's right. Spike. That makes sense. But there's 75 weapons in the game too, which really makes me think of this as being like a, a Smash Bros. Yep. clone. And I, I love it when cartoon characters have weapons. Like, I just think that that's you have to have that in in a cartoon video game. And like, it seems like the only cartoon video games we get nowadays are Nickelodeon and they're just not going to do that. Where no. like the characters have hammers and like, I love the baseball bat with a nail in it. I think that that's just the, that's just the best cartoon weapon of all time. It is. Like it's, it is. it's just, it's just stupid. Like, <laughs> and like, I think that that's a, like, it's funny to have these weapons kind of like uh, cell damage, which we haven't talked about on this show yet. Yes, we have. Mark? We have. Damn it. Kind of like cell damage, which we talked about a few episodes ago. So many I haven't, I can't even remember anymore. Racing Part One, the first racing Thank game you. that we did, we yes. talked about cell damage. That, yeah, that is what this reminds me of as well. It sure. does look good. I, I gotta admit, it looks nice. Mm-hmm. Somehow looks better than Taz, even though Taz is cell shaded. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it's just because of the camera. Like they don't have to worry about the player moving the camera around this this 3D environment. Then the levels are fully destructible, which is neat. Yep. They have all of these areas that were in the cartoon, like you know, kitchen, beach, uh, Italian market, haunted house. And you can even go to hell to fight. Yes, that, uh, did you see, yeah, I did see, did that. see that. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, all the stages are are pretty interesting. Uh, there's yeah. there's a there's even like a Halloween theme one, Franken Mouse. I like that yes. one a lot. I thought that was a like, kind of Luigi's Mansion vibes. Yeah, I, I think all of the all of the the settings are fantastic. I think it's a great mix of places from the show i think what could have made this game better honestly would have been if they could merge it with other franchises the only thing is that it would have meant merging it actually with other hanna-barbera franchises Mm -hmm. because this is a technically not a warner bros light or ip it's it's hanna-barbera which warner brothers uh, absorbed they have the license to the hanna-barbera franchises like scooby-doo of course uh, which is why that, which is why this game is in this episode specifically because Warner Brothers owns them. Yep, yep, yeah. And we uh, obviously already did the Scooby Doo uh, episode uh, way back in Halloween 2020, and that yep. uh, Neil was so excited to do that. Oh, I still love that episode. Go back and check it out if you haven't already. And Mike, uh, I, I don't know if you remember this, but earlier in 2021, there was a Tom and Jerry reboot uh, movie, live action. Did you do you remember that? Or did you see it? <sighs> yeah. Oh, I, I did not see it, but I okay. I saw a lot of like previews and ads for it. I did not watch it. Yep. No. <laughs> I'm assuming it was not good. Oh no. Yeah. No, no, no. Like I just wanted to see like a little bit about this franchise, you know, where it started and obviously the cartoons were huge mm-hmm. and there have been a few movies and they tried to kind of give the give it a little bit more life this year of all times. Uh, it was a commercial and critical bomb. It got a 31% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm assuming that's not great. Uh, it, the budget was 79 million and it grossed 120 million. Yikes. Um, so, and if you don't know how to calculate budgets, anytime you hear a budget for a movie or a video game, you always double it because that does not include marketing for the product. So assume that the budget for Tom and Jerry, the movie was actually 160 million at least. So they lost $40 million on that movie. So yeah. we're not seeing a sequel anytime soon. Which is too bad. Tom and Jerry is a great franchise and, and I wish I loved yeah. it more. I obviously I know Tom and Jerry and I've seen Tom and Jerry. I just, I wish I had a connection to it. Like I do Looney Tunes. I think that this is a worthwhile game to look into. If you can find it at a decent price. I think this is a little bit of a hidden gem. I think of the games we're talking about today, put your money on the fact this will be the one we recommend folks <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) 
anyway, I think it's time to hit the back of the case. Mike, what do you think? Yep, let's do it. All right. Ready, set, fight. Are you ready to kick some butt with Tom and Jerry and friends? With the choice of over 75 weapons, you can duke it out in unique levels such as Frankenmouse, a twisted laboratory, or Towering Inferno, an unstoppable construction site. Be prepared for the ultimate game of cat and mouse. I get it. Yeah. Uh, I also love too on the back here. There's one of the characters is being electrified. There's something about seeing a cartoon character's skeleton it's, being electrified. It's so good. It's such a classic cartoon trope. Yeah. Warms my heart. Warms my heart. <laughs> All right, Mike, let's move on to the third game of the list, which is Looney Tunes Back in Action was released on November 24th, 2003. This game was developed by Warthog Games and published by Electronic Arts. It feels like oh. it's been a while since we've talked about EA. Yeah. 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 We haven't had an EA yeah. game for a while. Yeah, all right, well, let's talk about them now. This game was also on PlayStation 2 and Game Boy Advance. There was an Xbox and Windows version, which were canceled due to the poor performance of the film. (laughs) This game actually rates okay. It gets about a 7 out of 10. It's a 3D platformer, and if you wanted to pick it up today, it's about $30. Now, Looney Tunes back in action, Mike, as I was saying at the front of the show, this is definitely where the the Looney Tunes era ended for our generation. Neil, I am ready. I am so ready to talk about this movie. So I watched this movie. This film, uh, Mike. It's a film. (laughs) This film, this experience. And I got to experience it this week, Neil. I watched it before this podcast to, you know, jog my memory of of what this movie was. Because this movie was supposed to be a Space Jam sequel originally. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, But then Michael Jordan didn't want to do it. So. Space Jam 2 was scrapped, but then they were going to keep most of the stuff that they had made and filmed, uh, and it was going to be Spy Jam. And they, for whatever reason, didn't go with that either. And they kind of had to rework the script. We reworked the casting. Uh, Brendan Fraser came in, and then we got Looney Tunes back in action, which Mm -hmm. is this weird collection of gags that also has a plot to it and it is yeah. the most like postmodern kind of style that i've ever seen you can you can tell they were trying to do shrek uh very mm. much so mixed with who framed roger rabbit because that's what this is obviously inspired by uh but yeah i, I got a lot of notes here neil so let me let me just go okay. through this uh quickly okay okay sure did you want me to give my opinion on the on the movie first before i let you go yes please do so I, I did watch this movie actually quite a few times as a kid. I enjoyed it when it came out because I was just stupid, I guess. But just on a, on, a, on a first glance, like, let me just, like, if you pitch it as a, it's a Roger Rabbit-like movie mm-hmm. uh, set in, I guess, set in current day, present time, 2003, with, at the time, put your put your head in the mind of a 2003 person. It stars Brendan Fraser, Timothy Dalton, Steve Martin, Joan Cusack, and Jenna Elfman, who at the time was a big TV actress. Yeah. It's a great cast. Great cast. Yeah, great cast. Directed by Joe Dante, who also directed Gremlins 1 and 2 and Small Soldiers, which is one of my favorite 90s films. Mm-hmm. And a lot of millennials will say that that's a classic Kirsten Dunst movie. So on paper, this movie sounds terrific. It's a, it's an undirect sequel to Space Jam, which was also a 90s classic. It did go through some some hell in, de- in development. It uh, Actually, that Spy Jam movie was supposed to star Jackie Chan, which, right. would have been all, which would have been hilarious. And there was even supposed to be, this is no, probably not on Wikipedia, it is in Tony Hawk's book where he mentions that he was actually approached to do a Skate Jam sequel <laughs> where it would be Bugs Bunny skateboarding with Tony Hawk. Oh so my God. Th- there have been a lot of Space Jam attempts at sequels over the years. We're finally getting one this week. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. I don't have high hopes, um, but I did. I did enjoy this movie as a kid. But again, watching it under a critical adult eye, it definitely is not great. And 
also spiraled Brendan Fraser's career as well and and several others. You haven't seen them in movies much since then. Mm-hmm. But you have a lot of notes, Mike. You're a bit of a film buff, so hit me with some facts. Oh, well, so like we said, there doesn't seem to be much of a plot. It's like a gag reel that attempted to have a plot. This was supposed to be Looney Tunes' big comeback. We said that uh, and it failed miserably. And they had a whole slate of cartoons and movies planned for uh, the, for after this, this movie, kind of like you alluded to with the Space Jams and the Skate Jams that were supposed to come out. Uh, mm-hmm. And the only one that really saw the light of day for quite a while was Duck Dodgers. Duck Dodgers came directly from this movie. And uh, I love Duck Dodgers. That was a great show. That was an amazing show. Really, really well done. They got Tom Jones to come on that yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Dave Mustaine from Megadeth <laughs> yes. is, is also in there. It's a really good show and also holds up very well if you go and watch it again. But that So that was a direct result of this movie. So we got one good thing from sure. this movie. But uh, the animation also, I got to say, the animation is somehow worse than Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I recently yeah. saw as well. Mm-hmm. And Me too. I was very upset at that. Um mm-hmm. The the casting, like you said, fantastic. The, yeah. the writing for those actors is horrific. It is so yes. bad, and it's so dated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I was cringing so many times at all these gags that they had. Like, Jenna Elfman's character, it just it was so badly written. Yeah. And say, like, oh, look, this woman who's a VP in, in a, for this, like, comedy mm-hmm. uh, uh, for the Warner Brothers. Ha-ha. Huh? Like, uh, yeah. they, they, they just... Everyone's just a shell of himself. Brendan Fraser is just the leading man guy who he mm-hmm. makes so many references to himself. I don't know if you remember <laughs> that, Neil. He mentions the mummy movies. He mentions yeah. being a stuntman in the mummy movies, which is... And there's a lot of stuff like that that happens throughout the film, which is... I get it. You're trying to you know cater to adults, too, who, where they can be like, huh, this is kind of funny. But it happens a lot, like way mm-hmm. too much. They kept going back to stuff like that. And mm-hmm. there, there was one part that I really, really did like, though. And I'm not sure if okay. you remember this, Neil. I probably do. I, I watched this movie a lot when we were young. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, no, hey, it's, I watched it, too. I liked it when I was a kid, too. Uh, yeah. I Somewhat. I, I remember not liking it as much as Space Jam. But anyways, right. uh, there's a scene near the very beginning of the movie where they're kind of panning over all these different Warner Brothers characters. And there's Shaggy and Scooby sitting there talking to Matthew Lillard. Uh, and, really? Yes, and Matthew Lillard uh, is, you know, is sitting there drinking tea or something, and Shaggy is like, "What kind of performance do you call that? You made me sound like a total space cadet, man. Uh, if you goof on me in the sequel, I'm coming after you." And it's like, "Oh, yeah, me too." <laughs> what? I don't remember that. Yeah. How did I miss that? Yeah, it's it's really funny. And like Matthew Lillard's <sighs> like, "Yeah, man, I'm just trying to my, do my best, the best portrayal I could with you guys." Uh, in, uh... <laughs> that that sounds like a deleted scene or something. I can't believe that was in there, and I missed that. I need to go back and watch. That's in the opening scene. It's, you it's said? in the. It's near the very beginning. Yeah, it's in the first like ten minutes. Okay, um, I can do that. That was so like that was great. And there was a, wow. a couple other times where Porky Pig is just like, oh, they told me to get rid of my stutter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like real actor stuff, which again yeah. they did. That's a ton of that in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is an amazing animated slash live action film from the eighties. Yeah. So the, and they have a lot of those like those really great elements in there. A lot of these little background gags, but the problem mm-hmm. is the background gags are better than the actual gags. Yeah. And so you know that's a bad start and uh yeah. Well the the background gags were probably for the adults and then the the, the upfront gags were for the kids, right? Like you need to have something very in your face sure. and 
Again, this is also why I'm a little bit worried about Space Jam this week. It's like I have a problem with the art style of the movie, which, and I think that the gags are going to be very much like low-hanging fruit. I don't think that there's going to be too many subtle jokes in that movie somehow. Probably not. Yeah, which which yeah. made the original Space Jam actually quite good, um, mm-hmm. I, or for me at least. And even watching it today, uh, or like recently, I can still appreciate Space Jam's more mm-hmm. subtle humor for stuff. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's a lot of in-your-face gags. <laughs> but yeah. it it works, and Bugs Bunny is so much better in that. He's written so badly in Back in Action. It just it doesn't work for his character. He's he's smug uh, so much, but at the same time he's caring, and he, he doesn't. It, it, it's it's clear the writers didn't really know what to make of him. They almost yeah. make him like again. They make him like a Shrek character, where it's yeah. like oh, I just want to do what I want, you know. Uh, yeah, he's almost self-aware that he's the leader of the Looney Tunes, which was never really what Bugs yeah. Bunny was. Like, even though he was the leader, he kind of didn't know it, which was great. He had, like, this sort of sense of – he's just in it for himself, really. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. He, he's a hard character for me to pin down. He, he's one of my favorite characters of all time. But, again, we've talked about uh, – we talked about Tom and Jerry with Looney Tunes back in action. The movie grossed about $68.5 million against its budget of $80 million. So – Double that Ooh, yeah, again to $160 million. So this movie lost even more than Tom and Jerry did, even adjusted for inflation. That's terrible. Oh, it's considered one of the worst flops of all time. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And you compare it to, like, again, you know, you think 2003, that's a lot of money back then. Well, compared to Finding Nemo, which made $340 million that year, so more than eight times what uh, what Looney Tunes did. Again, Looney Tunes been around since the 50s. And then this new Finding Nemo movie from Pixar blows it out of the water like it just goes to show you how bad it was neil i'm so glad you brought up finding nemo because the last thing i wanted to say was at the beginning that same sequence uh, or similar <laughs> sequence uh bug says hey what do you know i found nemo when he's fishing oh wow very rare time that warner talks about a disney property so i i huh. I, I noted that one down right away i was like oh my god that's cool yeah interesting i mean again pixar and disney's relationship has always been strange and in the 2000s it was very strange but let's talk about the game that was uh connected to this movie which the game does not really follow the plot to the movie at all no and, and as we've found many times throughout this podcast most of these movie tie-ins don't really follow the movie's plot at all because they often would get the script late wouldn't get the script at all for a couple of these uh <laughs> or just wanted to, to deviate because you've already seen the movie before and it's again another 3D collectathon, very similar to Taz, except the characters are going around collecting money, which wasn't really a part of the movie from what I remember. I know that like in the cartoons, the Daffy Duck was always after money. Mm-hmm. You'd, so, you know, he's always trying to create a wealth for himself, which was very funny. But uh, I don't know what that had to do with the movie. They did have like the uh, the monkey jewel, which was a similar sort of piece prop to the movie, which was carried forward, I guess. But in the game, you play as only Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny. Each one have their own set of special abilities in order to complete the levels. So uh, it's a very repetitive platformer. And uh, I think that after a couple hours of playing the game, it'll just get mundane for anybody who's played games. If you played Mario and you go to this, you're not going to have fun. But again, if you're a kid who's like us, 9 or 10 years old when it comes out, and this is maybe your first 3D platforming experience, you just saw the movie, it might be a little bit more enjoyable. And it, it looks okay. Like, it, it looks better than Taz, I think. Yeah, yeah. It looks better than Taz. It looks like it plays better than Taz uh, as mm-hmm. well. It, yeah, you're right. It's a very generic 3D platformer. But that's okay. You know what? I, for me, if I had this as a kid, I would be so excited that I got to play as Bugs Bunny. Yeah, like, of the time, this was pretty much it. If you owned a GameCube, this was your only uh, This was your only experience you could have playing as Bugs Bunny. There is a little... Uh, I'm not sure if this is actually supposed to be a callback to Zelda or anything, but there are points where you have to throw hens at things uh, oh, that's as definitely, hen grenades. 
<laughs> I actually like that. That's funny. Yeah, that was a good one, and I, I, I'm sure that they that's a that's a little um, homage to Zelda. Yeah. Oh, definitely, absolutely. And I mean, like you go through four regions of the game. You go through like places that you go to in the movie as well. It's kind of like this world tour of Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. They go to Vegas and Paris and Africa, I think, at some point. But like Brendan Fraser is not in the game. Steve Martin is not in the game. But the voice actors from the movie do come back to reprise their roles. Yeah. Uh, like Joe Alasky, Jeff Bennett, Bob Burgeon, and Jim Cummings. But uh, yeah, so I mean, like the cast was there. The game, again, looks better than previous Looney Tunes games that we've seen and it it got a good rating like 7 out of 10 I think is probably the best that they could have asked for yep. and that's better than the movie it was based <laughs> on got rated so is this one of the first times that the, the game is better than the movie uh, on this podcast yes I think so <laughs> yeah because I'm <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm impressed yeah the, the game itself I would play the game over watching the movie but I also honestly I would watch the movie just to get a sense of what went wrong and I would if I was like a film instructor I would use that movie to show this is what happens when corporate corporations meddle too much and say this is what kids want because I was reading a lot on how the director and the screenwriter both disowned the movie and said it was like the worst uh like 18 months of their life when they were creating it because it just there's just so much intrusion from Warner Brothers executives yeah, Joe Dante has been on been in interviews saying, "quote It's the longest year and a half of my life," which is just terrible to hear. Like, I'm sure that at one point he was very excited to yeah. have this franchise. Like, again, came up doing Gremlins and Small Soldiers, like big movies that were really popular. To finally have something that he probably grew up with, and had some sort of creative vision for the movie, and wasn't allowed to do any of that. It must have been just heartbreaking. I didn't. I don't actually know who directs the new Space Jam movie, but you kind of wish that he got another crack at one of these things. But I don't believe he did, which mm-hmm. is just sad. And I mean the fact. That- like the the fact of the matter too is that Space Jam New Legacy is the first Looney Tunes movie since Back in Action, which I, I couldn't even believe. But when I thought about it, I was like, yeah, I guess that's yeah. right. Nothing else has come out. So that yeah. just shows how much that killed Looney Tunes, really. And just like the cartoon movie renaissance again of the early 2000s, like we got movies like you know, randomly the Looney Tunes ones, Scooby-Doo, there's a Garfield movie thrown in there. And then they kind of just ended. And then occasionally, like, you see a Woody Woodpecker movie pop up at the Walmart shelf. Oh, my like, God. That that movie, uh, I think it was you who told me that came out. I was like, no, there's no Woody Woodpecker movie. And you're like, yeah, it came out. Live action Woody Woodpecker movie, like, just randomly. And now Tom and Jerry came out this year. Like, it's just this weird, I would love these movies to be good. Like, the new Sonic movie was actually pretty decent. And Detective Pikachu also yeah. pretty pretty good as well. So like these these live action cartoon tie-ins can be good. It just seems like for some reason when they're put in the wrong hands, they they don't they don't just they just don't mesh well critically and commercially. But they don't feel cohesive, right? It feels like yeah. like back in action is the absolute perfect example. It's it feels like it was written by a hundred people. There's constant changes of what they're supposed to do. It doesn't seem like mm-hmm. there's an actual plot for them to follow. Steve Martin's character goes in and out of his accent. <laughs> he doesn't really know what he's supposed <laughs> to that. be either. Uh, like I, that. that's actually the one thing I did really remember about the movie was Steve Martin's like the evil villain or whatever. Who's a, mm-hmm. the the Acme CEO, which I thought was a a good plot device, but uh, and he did a good job for what it's worth, but it's just horrible writing again. I need to go back and rewatch that movie as an adult. I haven't seen it since I was a kid. I would love to now, so that'll be a lot of fun. But uh, this isn't a movie podcast, although sometimes we do become one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, should I read the back of the case of Looney Tunes back in action? Yes, you should. 
That's the game, not the movie. <laughs> the hunt is on. Play as Bugs and Daffy in their globe-trotting adventure to find the mythical Blue Monkey Diamond. Five huge locations with tons of exciting challenges. Interact with your favorite Looney Tunes characters. Test your skill with fun minigames. Wear outrageous costumes to outwit your enemies. And there's backinaction.ea.com. We'll have to go check that one out. Right, let's set that out right now. You go for that, Mike, while I... Uh, move on to the next game, which is Animaniacs, The Great Edgar Hunt, which was released on September 18th, 2005. It's developed again by Warthog, published by Ignition Entertainment. This game is also on Xbox and PlayStation 2. It rates about a 7 out of 10, and it's priced, get this, Mike, for a complete copy on GameCube, minimum $200. Wow. That's, yeah. oh my god, Why? I don't think it sold. Like I don't think it sold a ton of copies. I think it had a very limited release. This game also had a very strange uh, release schedule in different countries on various platforms. I'm going to try and get this right. Uh, but the PlayStation 2 and Xbox versions released exclusively in Europe, while the GameCube version was released both in Europe and North America. The North American PlayStation 2 and Xbox version of the game were advertised, but then never released. Um, the Xbox version of the game is not compatible with Xbox 360 or Xbox One, so Microsoft clearly hates the Animaniacs. <laughs> I hope I got that all right. So it's I don't think this game had a huge push when it came out, and it obviously didn't have a large print run because no one really knew where and when it was coming out. Okay, okay. That makes yeah. sense. And and Animaniacs, you hear about them all the time. Like, when you talk about Warner Brothers, you always hear folks out there talking about Animaniacs. Like, they were part of the Nickelodeon lineup, yep. even though, you know, they weren't. But there's only six Animaniacs games. Um, so the same as Taz. Like, this this franchise has <laughs> six. And yes, Mike, to answer your question, one of them is a bowling game. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what I've always wanted. I've always wanted uh, Animaniacs go bowling. Yeah, I, I love Animaniacs just yep. mainly because of the production of it and the humor of it as well. It was this cartoon that ran from 1993 to 1998, and it was produced by Steven Spielberg. And it's back. With, and it's back. Yeah, it's it's having a resurgence now, which is really cool. I watched Pinky and the Brain more than I watched Animaniacs. So that the animation style is great. The comedy is, is hilarious. And like there's a lot of uh, carryover with the voice actors as well. Uh, the, the Warner siblings, as they're called in the Animaniacs. There's Yakko, who's voiced by Rob Paulson. Wacko, who's voiced by Jess Harnell. And Dot, who's Teresa McNeil. Mm -hmm. Very well-known voice actors of the time. But uh, we can talk a little bit about the game now, if you want. Graphically, looks pretty good, I think. Yeah, it looks um, not bad. There's a lot of uh, puzzle elements in this game, mm. which seem to drag it down a bit. I would say this is probably one of the best-looking games that we've talked about in terms of a cartoon game. Uh, mm -hmm. I think they really got the 3D aspects of uh, Wacko, Yakko, and Dot down. Like it, They mm -hmm. look really nice. Uh, I was a little worried they were going to look too kind of hit and run-esque you know what i mean because it is so hard to to bring a, a 2d character to 3d which we've seen many times before yeah but i think they nailed it for this one and the gameplay does look nice when you're jumping around when you're going exploring the towns i the i like the tune aspect of it how they mm -hmm. how they animated the entire uh the entire setting the entire world but yeah, I think this game is probably weighed down a bit by just the actual gameplay when you're when you're actually yeah. doing these puzzles and such. I think I think that's true. Uh, and the reason why I think that these characters animated so well in 3D is because they are fairly basic in their design. Yeah. Like they're basically like these Mickey Mouse. I always thought they looked like Mickey Mouse kind of these twisted Mickey Mouse looking characters. They're completely black and white except for their clothing, which helps so that they don't have they don't have to animate too much. And I actually do love the plot of this game. Um, of yeah. the ones that we've talked about so far. Um, so 
Here's the plot here. Frustrated by being overlooked, film director C.C. DeVille steals the Edgars, which are statuettes. Um, they're like a parody of the Oscars in the Animaniacs world, and threatens to melt them uh, unless studio chairman Thaddeus Plotz gives him a lucrative contract. I, I just love when cartoon characters kind of break the fourth wall and yeah. have like these human emotions of being like an, a struggling actor in the cartoon world. I think that that's a really funny uh, motive to give cartoon characters again tying very heavily to who framed roger rabbit oh, where yeah. all of these cartoon characters are actors in their cartoon i think it's a really funny thing to do and they leaned into it in this game which was great yeah and that's what you need to do in an animaniacs game and just the yeah. animaniacs in general are so fourth wall breaking and are constantly yeah. you know talking about themselves and talking about the writers <laughs> yes uh like the the new uh animaniacs which is great honestly i was a big fan of of the new season uh, and the fact that they brought it back and they brought it back with all the original voice actors of a whole bunch of the original writers, animators, everyone. They tried to make it the same, basically, which I like. I like when things don't change too much. Nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and awesome. and it looks great. They did a great job of it. Uh, and the rating is, is fantastic. And there's a whole uh, sequence in the I think it's the first episode or second episode when they talk about reboots. <laughs> and and they're, they're just ha saying how much they hate reboots and and how it's like reboots are systematic of Hollywood's uh, inability to have creative ideas. <laughs> and it's like here's your giant check, losers. <laughs> Is that all That's right? Funny. That's hilarious. I like that. It kind of yeah. reminds me also of like Rocco's Modern Life had yes. a, a reboot as well. And the Animaniacs one, I think it's only on Hulu, right? Yeah, it's only on Hulu. Um, I don't know where I, f I I found it somewhere, so I was watching it there because we don't get Hulu in Canada, which kind of sucks. I guess. But yeah, uh, I wish that this game was easier to find because I would love to pick this one up. $200 is crazy, man. I would think like same price as maybe the Taz game or somewhere between that and Tom and Jerry maybe. Because again, like Animaniacs is very much like if you're a kid of the 90s, you like Animaniacs. And if you're not, you probably didn't. And 80s, of course. But if you're born any later, like the 2000s, I don't know anybody born later than 1998 who knows what <laughs> Animaniacs is. No, I, I mean, maybe the new Animaniacs will help that out with... Uh... Showing Maybe. people what uh, what this is. But it, it definitely is made for adults, even more so, I would say, today. The new ones are so, like, adult-oriented. All the sure. jokes, like, kids would not get at all. It should be. I mean, that's their audience. Again, like, if you're if you're making an Animaniacs product in, in 2021, <laughs> you better be making it for adults. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting about this game is that it was actually the first Animaniacs product made since 1999. So there was, like, a five-year gap or almost six-year gap between... Yeah, a I was going to say that. Yeah, it was a movie that was made called Wacko's Wish in 1999, and then there was a six-year silence of nothing, and then this game. Yeah, because uh, Wacko's Wish was 99, like you said, and 98 was when the original series ended, and mm -hmm. you would think, why would there be anything else? Why would there be this random game in 2005 that is clearly, you know, a lot of time and effort was put into this. This isn't, isn't just a throwaway budget title. You know, this no. is a, a full-fledged adventure game. So mm -hmm. the fact that this money was put into this dead franchise at this point is really odd to me. I just don't think that they had too much of a plan, just to take it back to what you were saying about the gap between things. Like, they had the show for five years straight, a movie, nothing, six years go by, a game, and now 15 years go by, and now a reboot. I think I think for them, and probably Steven Spielberg, who was the executive producer, like you said, why do you need to do anything more, really, right? I guess. You, you've done a great series, you had a little movie there. That does there need does this thing have to exist forever? Right, I think that's a creator's worst nightmare is something existing forever. At least that's what I yeah. would think. 
I suppose so, but like, why reboot it then? Why not just put the cartoon out on a streaming service? Money. And, yeah, <laughs> I know. But you'd make money just by putting it out. I know, as I know. It is. No, like, also to make it like it's fun to do it again. It's fun to get the yeah. game back together. The fact that they they did really work hard to make this a good series again, uh, I was really happy about that because yeah, it could easily just be about the money, but it clearly wasn't. It was it was a labor of love. That's good because you're taking a huge risk with reboots because you're the the fans are either gonna love it or they're gonna hate it. So and you're not gonna get a huge new following of animaniacs followers now because you put out a reboot but anyway uh that's all i have on this game mike did you want me to read the back of the case now yeah let's read uh this wacky back of the case wacky back of the case and uh mike you were singing the gamecube was cool our jingle at the beginning there that was based on the animaniacs theme song (laughs) my favorite is in the new one it's like uh totally insaney never mansplainy and i don't know if you saw the there's a good animaniacs meme going around for a while uh for the capital riots i don't know if you saw that neil no but it's like uh it's like animani totally insane and this is is, there's this woman's like they pushed me down and mace me That's really clever. And uh, and just so you know, Mike, Pinky and the Brain are in this game. Pinky and the Brain, 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 Brain. You see, another great theme song. The great music, yeah. like great musical numbers. We didn't oh. even talk about that, but the music in, yeah. in Animaniacs is so good. Really good. It's I almost said it's not John Williams. It's not, though, right? No, John but Williams? it could be. It, yeah. Could, yeah, I mean, like, hey, <laughs> Steven Spielberg, I just assumed John Williams might have had something to do with it. But yeah, I wish Pinky and the Brain had more love, but yeah. we'll see. Yeah. The Great Edgar Hunt. Defeat Cyril Coupe de Ville. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Save Tinseltown and the famous Edgar Awards. Find and collect all 45 stolen Edgars. Control Wacko, Yakko, and Dot, each with their special abilities and moves. Battle madcap enemies. Solve dastardly riddles. Collect pickups and play minigames against Pinky and the Brain to conquer this wacky cartoon game. Anyway, Mike, let's move on to the last game of today, which is Teen Titans, released on May 24th, 2006, a very late GameCube game, Mm -hmm. developed by Artificial Mind and Movement, published by THQ and Majesco. There's THQ. (laughs) It's also on PlayStation 2, Xbox, and GameCube. This game rates a 7 out of 10. It's an action beat-em-up. And if you wanted to pick it up today, it's around $40. Watching gameplay for this game, Mike, the instant thing I thought was X-Men Legends. Legends. Yep, me too. (laughs) That was the first thing I thought. Oh, my God. Total clone of X-Men Legends, man. I I think it looks pretty damn good for a a cartoon tie-in. It doesn't have a ton of funding behind it or backing. Like, the developers probably didn't have a ton of time with script and voice actors and character development. I think they made a pretty decent tie-in to a cartoon for someone who's 10 years old and is a fan of Teen Titans. And I love... Teen Titans. I absolutely adored Teen Titans when I was a kid. Yeah, I watched. Me too. Uh, I watched that all the time. Uh, it was on Cartoon Network um, here in Canada. I think we watched it on YTV. But yep. uh, yeah, it was such a good show. It was really well done. It, I I remember. You know, I think we were ten or eleven years old when it was out, and I remember mm-hmm. how kind of deep and dark it was. It, it it didn't. It wasn't just like a superhero show uh, that a lot of these shows are nowadays. Uh, that mm-hmm. and the Justice League of the time were these really well written and deep shows. Mm-hmm. I always thought of it as the spiritual successor to the Batman animated series Me too. of the 90s. Yeah. I, I almost thought it was in the same universe even some days because, you know, you had Robin in there and you had Beast Boy, Cyborg, Raven, Star- and Starfire, uh, all DC comic characters. And it had the same animation style as the Batman cartoon where everything was very shadowed and dark and the subject matter was not 
totally kiddish. Like it was. No, it wasn't at all. It was treating the audience like you know you're not just playing it to a bunch of kids who are stupid. Like it, it was a really good cartoon, uh, comic book series, which unfortunately went away. It only ran from it only ran from 2003 to 2006, yeah. which in my mind I thought it was around a lot longer than that. Same here. Yeah, I always thought it was longer, but there's yeah 2003 to 2006, and there's a movie as well, the Teen Titans mm-hmm. Go to Tokyo or whatever that was called. Okay. Which is a good movie. Which was that was like the the series finale, mm, which is nice. Okay. I, I like when it's okay that things can end, right? And I yeah. I think this iteration of the Teen Titans was perfect. I think they they killed it. Uh, I watched an interview recently with uh, Tara Strong, who plays Raven, a great Canadian, Torontonian, and yes. she was saying how this is probably one of the most things that she's most proud of is playing Raven. She loved wow. it so much. She identified with that character a lot as well, and she's had a lot of fans kind of come up to her and talk about it. say, like, oh, you know. This was such a different character that we had never seen before, and I, I identified with it. And you know, just want to say like thank you for for this. She's like, oh, okay, I just voiced it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but she's right. Like they're they're right. Having this kind of um, female character who is this dark, strong uh, character rather than the femme fatale, or even um, what's her her name, uh, uh, Starfire. Starfire is a pretty standard female character, which is fine. But but yeah. Raven was something that you really hadn't seen in a kids' cartoon before. Yeah, she kind of had like emotional issues and yeah. was darker than the rest. Almost reminded me of like a Spinelli from Recess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, kind of like that mixed with like Daria, I don't know, uh, with, with superhero powers. And it was really neat to see. And they did mix it very well with the team having a few guys and a few girls on the team, almost like Power Rangers, but gave the characters a little bit more personality than the Power Rangers did, which was neat. They had very good personalities and they, they worked on them throughout, like they grew throughout the show. Every episode, they clearly like learned something. There was morals. There was a lot of lessons that they learned uh, robin really changes a lot you know sometimes he's this mm-hmm. stoic leader of the team and other times he's all like very vulnerable uh, it's yeah. you know really ahead of its time and this is this is tied into the dc com like which robin is it supposed to be i'm trying to remember now. so uh, he's not technically supposed to be any of them but okay. he is for like for argument's sake he is dick grayson okay but but the the creator of it uh, uh never wanted to actually outright say like this is dick grayson uh there's a mm. lot of hints throughout the show that he's dick grayson okay. it's uh it's actually said here so there's a whole thing that they talk about for secret identities and unlike most other superhero uh, shows, the Teen Titans characters, they don't have secret identities, really. They just maintain their superhero identities all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Glenn Murakami, uh, who, worked on, who worked on Teen Titans, said that it was really important to me that little kids watching it could identify with the characters. And I thought that the minute you start giving them secret identities, then the kids couldn't project themselves onto the characters anymore. And that was really important to me. I know it's kind of important to have secret identities and stuff like that, but we want everything to be really, really iconic. Like, oh, there's the robot guy. There's the alien girl. There's the witch girl. Yeah. Uh, we just w- wanted it really clean like that. We wanted it like old Star Trek, plain and simple. Okay. <laughs> uh, I like that. I like that. Some, yeah, sometimes the secret identity stuff of superheroes is a little tropey. And yeah. it's just it's just stupid where it's like, how does nobody know who they are? Like in this world, it would be really hard to hide cyborg. I would love to see cyborg like in a, at a cubicle, like with glasses on, pretending to be a human. I think that would be freaking hilarious. That's why that's one of the reasons I love Incredibles so much is how they did that. But but that's for another day. My, my thing that I wanted to do, and I had this idea a long time ago, I'm sure it exists by now, but it was to have a superhero think that no one knows who they are, but everyone knows who they are and they're fooling the hero. <laughs> I wanted that story. And I'm sure, again, I'm going to get some comments with for a graphic novel that I don't want to read. 
<laughs> but I thought that would be I thought that would be a hilarious like joke where it's like they think that they're undercover, but everybody knows. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, so the game Teen Titans uh, follows the characters from the show: Robin, Raven, Cyborg, Starfire, and Beast Boy as playable characters in a story mode. So literally, it's what we talked about on our X Men Legends show, where you're it's this 3D beat 'em up where you're going through the levels with your five characters, and you can swap between characters, pick who you want to play as uh, to get through the level. You fight enemies. It's very button mashy, so it's very A and B. And uh, so if you're really looking for some dynamic gameplay, you're not going to get that, I don't think. It looks like it was very much just beat the enemies until they're all dead and then move on. But again, if you're a kid who's really into Teen Titans, I think that this would be a ton of fun. Each character has their own set of moves and specialties like they do in the show. So... Looked like looks like a really decent X Men clone. Yeah, to me. yeah, and that's exactly <laughs> what it is. It's a very decent X Men clone. I personally probably wouldn't pick this up because it, it it doesn't have. I would love to have a Teen Titans game with a bit more story, uh, just because the the characterization in that TV series is so well done. The writing is so well done, and you would hope that they would bring that to here, where it doesn't seem like they really tried with the plot or anything. It just is the action mm-hmm. gameplay which is fine you know there you don't have to have everything be this dark narrative story or anything yeah. i just it's just not really a game i can see myself playing you know would you be into it if we've had now almost what 13 years now of arkham games how would you be excited if you know e3 of 2022 wb come on stage you know hogwarts legacy is out by next summer let's say hogwarts legacy is out we have our new game coming out we're not doing superman we're doing a teen titans oh game that would be so good. But we're not going to do what's what Enix just did with uh, with the Avengers. We're going to do like a good, like a re a return to form to the X Men Legends format, where it's going to be like a dungeon crawler beat 'em up in the Teen Titans universe. Like with, that would be pretty sweet. That would be amazing. And and I yeah. think they were close. They were close here. They had the elements. Mm-hmm. They just didn't have the funding clearly. Um, yeah. And they didn't have the 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 foresight to to really make this game. And and, and the problem too. You know, is back then we've talked about this many times, but video games weren't that it wasn't that lucrative of a market. You know, you didn't mm-hmm. want to put all your money into these games, have all your writers, have all your voice actors. Uh, the only game that we, we really saw it work with was, you know, Simpsons Hit and Run. Um, but that uh, when you look back on it, it's a great game. But that was a lot of effort that the creators mm-hmm. had to put into that that really it was basically like writing a whole season and creating a whole season for just one video game yeah the games that i think we saw be most popular like the ones that come to mind for me instantly are you know simpsons yeah and then spider-man james bond yeah. and we haven't covered it yet but spongebob yeah but those franchises already had millions of people that were going to buy those games regardless of if they're good or not That's right. teen titans as great as it was and as much as we watched it it was a very narrow market like no parents grew up with teen titans the younger generation didn't watch it yet so really you were targeting the kids that were born in the early to mid 90s and that was it yeah yeah, so and that's that's always been a. I mean, Teen Titans has existed in one way or another for a long time. But you're right; mm-hmm. it is definitely a niche market amongst those other franchises. Yeah, it might do better now because it has had a lot more time to percolate. And, and Teen a Titans lot of Go people... exists, which yes. is quite popular. It's had a few different iterations over the years, and I think they still do a comic book series as well, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I could see that. Yeah, so 
I mean, like, the superhero games of this time were kind of tied to this X-Men format. I think we were still trying to figure out how to do superhero games where you're playing as a group. Uh, like, the Fantastic Four game is also very similar to this, which we're going to be covering that in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And Ultimate Alliance, also very similar, where there's four characters on screen and you can swap between them. And so Ultimate was Alliance just... was, was based on X-Men Legends, so. Sure, exactly. So, and now we finally have the Avengers game, which is more of, like, a, an online service game, mm -hmm. which that is what it is. But th th this was just how team... Uh, superhero games were played and it works for some and I think it worked for this one just fine the game does look and play just fine yeah, so yeah there's nothing there's nothing necessarily wrong about it and it's fairly affordable like 40 bucks a little steep but again if you're someone who's now in their 20s or 30s has some money not a bad pickup mm -hmm. all right so I think now it's time we read the back of the case for this one Mike what do you think let's do it all right calling all teen titans i also love the logo of teen titans the letters yeah. kind of written out in colors very very memorable very nice me. and very not 2003 you know like, that, <laughs> like, like that's a problem with a lot of these franchises is yeah. their their logos or their box starts or whatever always look so dated look so early 2000s but i love that logo it's very iconic and 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 timeless yeah, I'm just looking at the front of the logo, too. Like, it's just the characters, and it says Teen Titans in that colorful yeah. font. I love it. Calling all Teen Titans. An unexplained video game has been sent to Titan Tower and its stars. The Teen Titans? When they turn on the game, strange things begin to happen. Is the new game playing the Titans? Or has a mysterious villain breached their defenses and taken control of our heroes? Play as Robin, Starfire, Beast Boy, Cyborg, and Raven in a thrilling adventure that threatens to wipe out the Titans for good. I like when video games are incorporated into video games. I love that. Me too. It's pretty cool. I'm trying to think of another thing that does it really well. Um, uh, <sighs> the Simpsons do it with the in the Simpsons game, not not hit and run. But there's a there's a good like oh, yeah. backstory of of Bart playing a video game of himself. I also really like when the PS Vito is in Last of Us Part 2. All right, moving on before we get too spoiler heavy with Last of Us. What game from the list of the five games we talked about today would you recommend folks out there pick up? Uh, this is a tough one because there's a lot of ones that are, I'd say, relatively close to each other uh, in terms mm -hmm. of ratings and in terms of what I personally would play. But I think if you can f somehow find this game for less than $200, because please <laughs> do not spend $200 on this game, I think the Animaniacs The Great Edgar Hunt is the best game of these five. Uh, objectively. Although, if you're looking for more of a budget title, I think Tom and Jerry War of the Whiskers would be a really fun fun game to play. Yeah, I think that you're right about those two. I think those ones are kind of like going to be hidden gem diamond in the rough games to find for me. I would love to pick both of those games up. They're also on my list. I'm hoping that Taz is at least fun, but I have a bad <laughs> feeling about it. It was only 20 bucks, yeah, and like, yeah. hey, it's a game that I can add to my collection sure. now, and I can finally play it. I'm looking forward to reporting back on it, and next week I might have a better opinion on it. But I think between Animaniacs and the Tom and Jerry game, I think I want to go with the, the Animaniacs game. I think it just sounds so much cooler. Yeah. Pinky and the Brain are in it. Like, There's not too many Animaniacs games out there. Not that there aren't a ton of Tom and Jerry games, but it's just like that. The Animaniacs game sounds a little bit more like a complete package. It's got a story. It's got some multiplayer. It's got some puzzles in it, some great writing and voice acting in it. Um, so that's probably going to be my pick of the litter today. Yeah, no, I, I would I would agree with that for sure. And cool to kind of end this episode off, Neil. What do we think the future of, we can talk about Looney Tunes mostly, uh, but Warner Brothers in general, what do you think the future of that is? Obviously, we're getting Space Jam and New Legacy, so if mm -hmm. you talked to me a couple of years ago, I would have said, uh, I don't know, <laughs> this this franchise <laughs> and this, this studio for Looney Tunes is basically dead, but maybe we'll have a bit of a, of a, bit of a revival, so what do you think? 
Maybe. I, I feel like I remember Space Jam 2 being talked about when we were in high school. No? Uh, I mean, they've, always... they've been talking about the idea of it for, as you said, they've been talking about the idea of, of jams, it seems, Skate Jam, <laughs> uh, Spy Jam, since yeah. the original one came out, and they've never really been able to make any headway. In terms of films, I think that we will occasionally see a random Looney Tunes movie come out, a random Tom and Jerry movie come out. I don't think that we're anywhere close to the end of that era of these movies coming out, because... Even though they don't do well commercially, I think that the actors have fun doing them, which is what's important yeah. to me. Like the actors, again, like they're doing it for the money in the end, but I'm sure that they're doing it for their kids too. Like so that they they can see their dad, you know, play basketball with Bugs Bunny or, or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Like there's got to be something to that too. Like they just want to make a movie that they can take their kids to see, which I think Robin Williams was quoted saying that, that he did a lot of the movies he did so that he could take his kids to see his movies. Like that's why he did a lot of family movies. He really liked doing dramatic films, obviously, but... <sighs> Space Jam. Like, I don't want to see another Space Jam movie. I thought I wanted another Space Jam movie. I don't think I do. <laughs> I, I just want I just want to be able to watch the Looney Tunes cartoons as they were in the 50s again and again. I, they're perfect as they were. Like we talked about before, things don't have to keep going. In terms of video games, I don't think we're going to see another Looney Tunes game. Big budget title no, ever. Like, no, I don't think no, there's no. ever going to be an E3 lights out moment. <laughs> <laughs> Bugs Bunny finally in Smash. Reggie comes out. And one more thing. Um, no, yeah, Bugs Bunny in Smash. That'd be awesome. But uh, WB, as a publishing arm and a developer, they own many studios. We're going to keep seeing Batman games. We're going to keep seeing Lord of the Rings games come out. Sure, that's never going to change. And now we're getting some decent Harry Potter games. Not that the movie games weren't great. A lot of people out there love them. But we're finally getting a AAA open world uh, Hogwarts game. It's not technically Harry Potter, which I'm very excited for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm more into that to see Warner Brothers explore the worlds of their licenses as opposed to these characters that we've known for upwards of 70 years now. Yeah, yeah. Batman included. I'm just looking forward to seeing them make some open world games to let us explore the worlds instead of them cramming these characters down our throat for the billionth time. Yep, I 100% I agree. And I just, it's, you know, anything can happen really. You know, like like I just said, if you asked me a couple of years ago, I would say nothing for Looney Tunes, at least in that Warner world. But Animaniacs, you know, that came back out of nowhere. The, the, the fact that that's even back at all is a huge blessing and I'm very thankful that it's actually good. And mm -hmm. and that, you know, the, the the reason why it is good, though, is because everyone is on board, right? You, you got all the voice actors, all the writers, all the producers. Everyone is there. And I think mm -hmm. that's, that is the key to a successful reboot. You need to have everyone on board. Because when you do, they don't care about it for the money. They don't care about whether – they just want to have fun. They want to be – it's like it's like a reunion with your best friends, honestly, mm -hmm. right? Like, clearly, yeah. they had an amazing time making the Animaniacs back then. And they want to do that all again. And you can feel that in the writing. You can feel that in the performances. And I, I would love to have more of that style. I, I think it's just very, very hard to do. And someone really needs to be that catalyst for it. And I'm sure it was Steven Spielberg here who mm -hmm. was like, yo, guys, like I had a great time doing this. Let's let's try it again. Let's do it again. Why not? This is a good time for it. We were, uh, you know, they, they wrote it in 2018. So and it's always been a very political show, uh, always political undertones. Right. And so that 2018 is a good time to write political stuff <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Uh, but yeah. And, and like you said, in terms of Warner games, that's never going to stop. And I just would love to have like a Roger Rabbit type thing come back. I know that'll never happen again, but that mm. I love Roger Rabbit so much. And I think that was such a landmark in both Disney and Warner Brothers histories. Yeah, I would love that. Well, I was actually thinking, again, we both watched Roger Rabbit recently, and it got me to think, like, you know, you've got this this license, whatever you'd call him, this IP, who is already kind of T-rated. Like, wouldn't it be neat if 
there's no Grand Theft Auto clones really out there right now. Like, not many, at least. How neat would it be if they made, like, this Roger Rabbit GTA <laughs> clone game where he kind of goes oh in and God. out of other cartoon worlds. Their characters are coming in and out. Again, it would have to be – it has to be T-rated. Like, it has to be, like, gritty or at least funny to the point of being inappropriate. Yeah. Like, that would be really funny if they had, like, this – Hollywood studio be the open world and you go around to different areas and you see Bugs Bunny and you see Woody Woodpecker and you see Shaggy and Scooby and it would just be like a really cool thing to do and you can do everything in it. I don't know what that means if like maybe there is like a story to it obviously. But There's a niche for that kind of humor. Like look at South Park games. Like the South Park yeah, games uh, exactly have sold like really well and are very critically acclaimed and I think, you know, we really haven't had anything other than that since Conker's Bad for a Day. Uh, and I think mm. something like a Roger Rabbit in that universe could be really cool. I yeah. doubt it'll ever happen, but yeah, Neil, yeah. I'm I'm dreaming for that too. Yeah, there's definitely not like there's definitely not a shortage of open world games out there, but there definitely is a shortage of comedy in video games, which is yes. seriously lacking these days. That's a and good something point. needs That's a really something good point. needs to fill it. Yeah, like since South Park, name me the funniest game you played. Yeah, uh, indie games, indie games, uh, yeah, and their really. writing, right? Like the indie game mm. writing is so well done for so, uh, so many of these games, where they're yeah. they're very clever. Uh, but you're right, all these AAA games are just often going for that dark narrative rather than that comedy, which is okay. That's fine. Like it's good to have games like that, but it's nice to also mix it up. Yeah, it's nice to have fun playing a video game. Who knew? But Mike, on that <laughs> note, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 59 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. On episode 59, Neil, we are on the radio on 97.8, the Cube FM. And we will be taking lots of calls and lots of uh, letters, fan letters, uh, for Mario Kart Double Dash, the second best-selling game on the GameCube, but number one in many people's hearts course i'm so excited to talk about mario kart double dash it's one of my favorite games on the gamecube and it's many people's favorite game on the gamecube and we're of course going to be talking about mario kart as a whole the franchise since this was of course the only mario kart game on the console ton of time playing all those games on every single console and i'm really excited to have so many guests come on to talk about it it's going to be a great time so definitely come back and check us out next thursday yes yeah i'm really excited for it Sweet. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 58 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We have new episodes every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better. If you want to support the show, you can find us on Patreon. We are The GameCube Was Cool. You can then follow us on Instagram. We are at The GameCube Pod. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Brendan Fraser, Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. That's all, folks. That's all, folks. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. Game.